Hi, and welcome to this seventh edition of the ARC Audiobook Club. This time we've read Michelle Welbeck's 2015 novel, Submission, that takes place in the year 2022 in France, where the political situation is escalating, and we become acquainted with 40-something Francois, who is a professor of 19th century literature at the Sabonne University, and moved through life with a total indifference that is described quite well within the simple prose of the novel. I'm Giovanna Alessandro. And today the people you hear are Louisa Sommer, who was also in the episode of Story of the Eye. Hi. Macon Holt, who's a regular by now. Hello. And Nina Bang, who is a first-timer. Hello. So, is this the work of a hater? Well, it depends who you think he hates. I think he hates a lot more people than the hype around this book would lead you to believe. His hatred for... Islam is just a subset of his hatred for organized religion, is a subset of his hatred for a sort of limited and traditional, you know, La France kind of thing. It's, and for intellectuals and for women. And I mean, what do you mean? So you don't think that the hate is personal? It's that what they represent he targets? Like, he chose Islam because Islam is an organized religion. It could have been any religion. No, I mean, he's got particular critiques of Islam, but it's his, his mode of working is hate. It's not special to this subject. He's not, you know, this is it's not like this is his angry book. From what I know of him, he's not, he's not like held it all back to now and now he's really going to let, let the sacred cows have it. No, he's always hateful. <coughs> <laughs> always hateful, always angry. <laughs> Yes. But how did you find the style of his writing? Like, the prose to me seemed very simple. I, it's interesting because this is a... I've just started reading Platform, and this is a different translator to Platform. And so there's a whole bunch of different reasons that... This is very simple, and I, I heard like one critic call it like, uh, Welbeck's uh, workman-like prose as a kind of put down of his sort of very easy to understand way of going about it it's just I've also heard that the French is meant to be incredibly like beautiful and written in the style of Huisman which is obviously the book that he talks about but for me it doesn't like come through necessarily in the translation but I don't know if I notice a difference from the other translations because I think it's always quite a simple realist style I find that this is way more simple than well I've only read two of his books Platform and Atomized but in this story the protagonist is also way more depressed and I think that since we are inside his head it depicts his depressed indifference really well Mm -hmm. in its really simple prose and it kind of reminds me of Tao Lin okay yeah I was going to say I think his um in his previous books, you get, like, the character enters into these, like, long intellectual discussions with people. He, like, Bruno, um, Michelle's brother in Atomized, they have those long kind of discussions about life and about Bruno's work with sort of, like, cloning and stuff like that. And you have it in lots of the books between, like, partners and things like that. But in this one, it always seems like to be this kind of one-way conversation so you, although you get the depression from inside his head because he's the narrator, he doesn't, like, express it to other people in the book, which I thought was quite interesting. He doesn't, like, enter into those long discussions where you mm. have just pages and pages and pages of this back and forth. It's just always this one way, especially at the end with um, Rediger, or mm-hmm. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, who just sort of kind of tells him about 
Islam mm. and sort of the principles that it follows and what he'll receive if he converts. But he doesn't sort of contest him on anything. No. He says these little comments like, I think, you know, I doubt that World War One was that important and things like that. But he doesn't, there's never really like a mm. strong di- like dialogue, which I thought mm. was quite interesting. And he is always trying to undercut anything of interest, actually, this narrator. Like yeah. He's, he's not, he's so disinterested in things. Like he, the author takes the time to explain the entire political plan of the Muslim Brotherhood throughout Europe and its relationship to previous movements of, of, uh, the relig- of this religion's attempts to be a national power or like an international power. And then it just ends with um, like the, the narrator saying, uh, by this point, I could barely keep my eyes open. Yeah. And, yeah exactly. and you just think, well, I was interested. Mm-hmm. So is he, he, I guess he's trying to like, He's trying to undercut my liberal, vicarious interest in in this this hot topic. You know, oh, I can learn something about the complexities of comparative religions and their relationships to the nation state and power. Uh, But that's not important, is it? Okay, yeah, let's just talk about blowjobs. Yeah. And we can ascribe this maybe to his total depressed indifference. Or that he thinks that depressed indifference is perhaps the only honest stance to take. And that everyone else is phony in some way. It's like a very sophisticated version of of the narrator in uh, The Catcher in the Rye. Everyone's a phony. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's a waste of time. They're all... But that guy's like a 13-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. So it's almost endearing. Yeah. But I was thinking about that as, yeah, sometimes it just it glides off. And I was wondering, is the author here talking down to his audience? Because his previous book, I think, have been intelligent and it's like he's researched a lot and it's Absolutely. really interesting and you really become smarter and more knowledgeable about mm-hmm. like, for example, cloning anatomized. Yeah. But not really here. You don't, I, I mean, I learned, don't think I learned anything about Islam uh, mm. from this book. No, me neither. I don't think. But he does, that's probably because he does cut the reader off. He's not interested in telling that story, that, like, informing. I was I was so frustrated all the time because when they were talking about um, the, the leader of the, the um, Muslim Brotherhood, what's his name, uh, Mohammed ben Abbas, mm-hmm. he's like... He, he will tell something that he's doing, like this really clever coalition or this really like brilliant thing that he's doing or really interesting at least thing. And the, this way he's being kind of a moderate, but also very like new in, in his whole perspective and his whole religious and political views. And then going like, I have to admit he was a brilliant politician. And then there's like, yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me why. Let let me know why. But he's just gliding off all the time. Mm-hmm. So you say that that's not the story that he's interested in telling. So what story do you think that he's trying to tell here? Well, I get the impression, like having only you know read this novel and starting another one, that I also like when you read read this uh this blurb note from um the, a book of the year list, Richard Flanagan the the Observer saying that it's one of of the several suicide notes for the West that Welbeck has written, this is his best. So he's only really interested in talking about decline and its relationship to the individual's inability to feel anything. And I'm not even convinced that Welbeck thinks this is a bad thing. And, and I, you know, I think you could make a, a series of very 
interesting political arguments about like the decline of west of, of western civilization and whether or not you know as there was the, the gandhi quote like western civilization would be a fine thing if it were to happen um <laughs> you know so th- there's a, a, a plurality of views you could have about this but it's this weird thing of being both depressed about it and also so resigned to mm. it yeah he also i also think in many ways he's kind of writing a suicide note this is going to sound incredibly cliched. I don't mean it to be like that, but like a suicide note in a kind of literary way in terms of his authorship and stuff. Because he writes right at the beginning about like um, how he makes those um, connections between art and music, but how literature is the only thing where you actually connect with another human being. Mm-hmm. And it's precisely what you don't, what I didn't do in this book was connect with this human being, which I have in the previous ones. Mm-hmm. And he's always, he talks about suicide from the start. And that's a very like literary thing you have it in lots of, like novels but I just feel like in many ways it's kind of that it is kind of perfect in many ways in the sense that he starts off by telling you in many ways what he's going to do and then he kind of does do it you are left like very cold like not intellectually inspired and he hasn't committed suicide he's actually converted to Islam and he's like accepted all these things so it's just this really strange like suicide of the west or if it's just like (laughs) him just continually like but it's also, um, when you talk about suicide in that way, I think of it as like that, or at least the literary suicide as something dramatical. Like you can't, you can't take it anymore. And, and Camus, uh, Camus writes about like, there are only two questions, like to, to kill yourself or, or to keep on living. And, and what Hulbeck does in this one or in submission is that he keeps on living. And then at the point where you can't go any further, when it's just you're disinterested, you don't, you don't give a fuck about politics, you don't give a fuck about religion, you don't give a fuck about who you're going to marry, about love. Like, he keeps idolizing this, this marriage in some way, but also, like, really detesting it. And then when you get to that point of, like, absolute maximum disinterest in life, he keeps on going. And that's fucking scary. So I guess you could call that a kind of reader Stockholm syndrome, because he is telling us that story about how he's relating a uh, hundred years back to Huisman, um, and how that helps him, and how literature can be a great help in your life. And he doesn't offer us the same narrator to relate to, but in a way he does. And I ended up sort of relating to this Francois guy, which I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really did not want to, but I ended up doing it. And I read Submission, and then I read... Um, platform and then I read atomized and I think you can call it reader Stockholm syndrome because I've only read those books the last two weeks and I have started reasoning like his <laughs> protagonists and I've started seeing the world how they would mm-hmm. and like reason the way that they would and it's absolutely horrible it's like the worst voice having in your head <laughs> and it's yeah horrifying yes <laughs> But the book is also like a long meditation on literature and loneliness, um, which I find quite beautiful, actually. And in that sense, it worked for me. But it's been called a political satire. What would you say to that? I, th- I think that it is satirical, but that it's targets are such it has because it has so little sympathy or respect for that that which is satirizing mm-hmm. which is not just islam it's the western and the, the whole academic yeah, world the academic oh. world and the western liberal um acceptance of 
like of, of, of a tolerance that becomes intolerant and then that his targets are so easy in his construction that I don't find the satirical elements of it that rewarding so yeah it is but it's like it's like when you're control when you're in control of creating the entire world in which you're satirizing like that's why satire works very well you know when you have something like the daily show it has to work off the material that exists and it can only find the humor in the thing that exists basically he is what he has done is he's made he's made up his own target and then he's shown how much smarter he is than these stupid people he's invented which is which is an easy task comparatively to working up but maybe it works better as an academic satire than a political satire yeah but i don't know so much about the world of french academia so i'm i want to believe everything i i i i'm 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 sure like I'm sure there's some horrible people working in the French Academy. But they don't sound <laughs> horrible. They just sound so, uh, like, value relativizing. Do you mean the people at the university? At the university. Yeah. The Pretty people, opportunistic. The people in the first half of the book? Mm. Or, yes. Or, yeah, when the, his colleagues at the mm. beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. no one really cares. And the, the first time that they are a little bit worried about this whole political mm. situation is their job security. And that's it. And that seemed like a caricature. Yeah, because I mean, that, he makes the point fairly early on that literature, the study of literature, the academic study of literature, only exists to reproduce more people to engage in the academic study of literature, which is a task it fails at doing ninety five percent of the time. <laughs> oh yeah. Also, <laughs> liter- a degree in literature might be good if you're a woman looking to yes. work in luxury in the luxury goods. Department. Yes, that's also a very important detail. <laughs> but that's the thing. Is like yes, they are of course terrified of their job security because they are qualified for nothing. Mm-hmm. So, but that's also it's also this weird double thing where he's at once he's at no point does he think that the society could be better. That there could be room for this knowledge to uh, also facilitate a life. No. That, so that's just completely out of the question. So the question is, do we go for a radically conservative fascist, uh, nationalist fascism, or towards a sort of soft slide into a religious fascism, or do we just muddle on through with a kind of non-committal third way political model, which means that nothing can ever happen? And so, if you're very convinced of that, then, there, I mean, there's, what's frustrating for me about, about this guy is that, uh, as a novelist, is that there's, there's no talking to him because he's already superiorly right about everything because he doesn't care. He can, he's like the kind of, like, the playground bully who can always just say something else to you because he's not got any investment in anything. No, and at the same time, the author has kind of sanctified him by giving him this body of knowledge that he wrote this great piece on Uismang and he is actually a really good academic and no one else quite has that trait mm-hmm. and certainly not the women. They are two categories, fuckable, unfuckable. It's not quite, I mean, that, that's his first two groups and then within that, there's because there's also his, um, his colleague mm-hmm. thing. Marie-Francois. And she is within the unfuckable camp but he likes, what's he called? He, I like the old bat because uh, she was funny and she was always a, had lots of information and she was knowledgeable and they could have a good conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he doesn't feel the need to fight for any sort of women's rights, but he also would like, he likes some of them okay. But she's not a, she's not a woman. She's not really a person. Well, she's unfuckable, say. so it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's also, she's, uh, he likes her for her, her gossip. Mm. 
and and for what she has to has to offer him mm. so in that way she's she's fuckable just not in like a sexual <laughs> way but more in like a you, you bring me gossip you but and and but and he turns out to like her husband more like he has like these kind of meaningful or like he has these connect or conversations with with her husband to whom he, he shows kind of respect. And and she just facilitates them by yeah. cooking for them. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, she's a facilitator yeah, yeah, yeah. in everything. Yes. Yeah. But is there anyone he really likes? He likes Mariam, but only for her merits as giving great blowjobs. Yeah. She's got like really good vaginal techniques as well, it sounds like. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that too. For me, like he hates himself more than he hates anybody else. And that just comes through so strongly. Like he just... Like, he might seem really apathetic, or for me, he, like, tries to come across as very apathetic or um, disengaged and past the kind of good part of his life. And he's a very much like a cup half empty, not half full type of person, as you can see. But I feel like he just, he hates himself more than he hates any of the things that he kind of, like, I tries did, to satirize. I didn't get that impression that he actually hates himself. Maybe he doesn't have knowledge of the fact that he hates himself. He just seemed indifferent towards himself. Yeah, but I, I suppose for me that, like, that isn't, in a way, kind of hating yourself. That's how it came across to me, I think, but... I was going to say, he says several times that he feels like everything is going downhill. Like, now I've lost this, now I've lost this, I don't have, like... And whatever, like, whatever good sides he has, you know, him being uh, a, this great academic or whatever has this great knowledge or what whatever he's just like he doesn't care too much about that he so so it i don't know if 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 it's self-hatred that is super obvious but at least it's a not giving definitely out of of, of fucks about himself <laughs> <laughs> he's so aware of how limited the world around him is in terms of like, because there is this sense of disappointment because to him, clearly the literature of Wisman and many of the other writers he mentions was exciting and exhilarating it, let, let him feel something and then he goes into the world and there is, there, it's not there. And I can relate to that sensation where you feel that reality just is letting you down in terms of reasons to be interested in it. It makes such kind of grand universal claims about about what this means that what that feeling means is tiresome would you say that this book deserve our time and effort i think it does not deserve the time and effort that it is that the, that the uh, myriad reviewers on the back insist that it should be the book of the year like i mean it's worth time and effort in the sense that books are really hard to write <laughs> and in that way they're all kind of worth your time and effort because it's been an, it's an endeavor to create them but not the special pleading that this is being given because of its particular synergistic relevance to a moment yeah i think the the problem for me is it, it kind of also oversimplifies like so many things but not for any kind of like real purpose that comes forward because in his previous books you really like you I, I always feel like quite scared when I read Welbeck like you know the, the feeling that you were describing about you get into this mindset and then you start looking at the world in that way and you start thinking shit I need to stop like <laughs> stop reading this man <laughs> but I didn't you don't this one sort of 
it's not that it's not worth time or effort, but it's more that you, I didn't get that kind of like sensation of 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 like fear or like complete like oh my god, everything he's saying is so horribly true and yet so horribly wrong and yet so horribly like far off and close and all those kinds of things that's not because it just felt oversimplified I felt like mm. he was wrong about a lot of the things I felt like yeah. yeah and he doesn't reveal anything in this book really he doesn't uncover anything that we know but we don't like to think about yeah. or I really didn't have that sensation it reminds me like I think when when you have a book which is written with such a kind of like this sort of hot topic in mind this sort of very definable target you end up oversimplifying and then just not achieving like when I read uh, the Paul Murray book The Mark and the Void I was just, I was reading a, the review of it in the paper saying this wonderful satire of uh, the financial industry and, and how that intersects with our lives and I read this and then I read, like, went out and bought the book and I thought this would be great to read it like wow that's disappointing <laughs> <laughs> yep but I well I still think it's a really enjoyable book but I didn't find it to be any more than that Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. It, it was an enjoyable book. It's easy to read. It's nice. Uh, but, yeah. And, yeah. And almost, like, problematic in some ways in the sense that it doesn't... Like what you were saying, Macon, about how he doesn't... He doesn't stand for anything. And more than anything in this book, he doesn't seem to stand for anything. He just goes along with everything. Mm. He doesn't even contest people. He just sort of, like, everything, like, washes over. Mm. Um And yet he's still apathetic. And that's kind of like, that was almost like problematic for me in the sense mm. that he didn't, he's dangerously like just doesn't have an opinion and yet writes such a like mm. sort of strongly political book about some like incredibly pertinent like subjects. So, yeah. But it's still, Beck, he still has some some great punchlines and some great, <laughs> like you're gonna if you read it in public, people are gonna think you're having a great time reading because you're gonna be giggling or like raising mm. your eyebrows or or whatever because that that whole thing is still is still there. Um, I felt that especially in the beginning, I was just like mm. all the time. Mm. Like mm. I felt it was like reading a loaf of sheer batter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, but there, there are some like there are some nice sections. I'd like to just um, read a section where he's uh, having a small debate with his um, his most recent lover, the uh, former former student or present student, Mariam. Anyway, uh, Mariam, and, and he's arguing for the virtues of uh, of a patriarchal society, which we can talk about that in a minute. Um, and she asks him, "Do you think? Do you really think that I am disposable?" But it goes on to say, "The right answer was probably yes, but I kept my mouth shut." <laughs> Maybe I wasn't as honest as all that. The sushi still hadn't arrived. I poured myself another whiskey, my third. Nick Drake went on evoking pure maidens, princesses of old. And I still didn't want to give her a child or help her out around the house or buy a baby Bjorn. I didn't even want to fuck her. Or maybe I sort of wanted to fuck her. But I also, but also kind of wanted, wanted to, to die. die. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't really tell. I felt a slight wave of nausea. Where the fuck was Rapid Sushi anyway? <laughs> I should have asked her to suck me off right then. Then we might have stood a chance, but I let the darkness settle and thicken second by second. <laughs> Moments later she says, maybe I should go. I should have uh, asked her to suck me off right there and then, then we might have stood a chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's wonderful. These That parts very, are still there. Yes, like yes. That part I'm, of 
woo! And we watch those peter out through the book. There's less and less of them. It's just, yeah. it gets so in love with its own ideas of not being interested in the ideas that it's talking about that it kills itself. Maybe appropriately. <laughs> I'm more worried about his next novel because the decline from Atomized, which I think is from 98 <laughs> to a platform in 2005, and then this book 10 years later. I mean, in Atomized, they're kind of depressed, but they're not all the time depressed. And they, like, they, like women are okay. Women have their own merits sometimes. But they all commit suicide. Uh, <laughs> Every last one of them. <laughs> but then in Platform, he's, he's depressed. But, but, like, the women are not just fuckable or unfuckable. Well, in a kind of way, they are. Yes, actually, they are. But, <laughs> but it's, it's less, or it's, it's more softly or better revealed. And then in this book, it's just so black and white. And that's also, I think, what does him the whole disservice. is like when he's arguing in favor of patriarchy, which obviously is ludicrous. But if, if we take on his, his, like, on his own reasoning for this, he says that, well, at least with patriarchy, it was able to keep itself going. It was able to reproduce itself because now people aren't even having babies. But the problem is, by his own argument, that patriarchal system killed itself. Like his, his view of this kind of you know, progressively simpler world, like he doesn't seem to understand that the problems that he sees with the world are just the price of there being other people who exist. So would you say that this is a literary move or that he's just talking down to his audience? No, I mean, he's actually just making a massive mistake, I think. <laughs> like, he's just... The author. Like, yeah, yeah, the author is making mm -hmm. the mistake of thinking that because a system worked in the past, mm -hmm. that it could have continued working had something not got in its way rather than it's the system's inherent contradictions destroying itself. But do you really think that he thinks that patriarchy works. Do you think that... Michelle are we, talk, are we talking... Yeah, so do we think that Michelle Welbeck... I think because he thinks... actually I, I, thinks I, patriarchy I, is a good idea. I think he thinks it was preferable to the situation now where everyone has to fucking say whatever they feel like. Because I... Because I, I, the, the, the funny thing is that this book ends really similarly to how Atomized ends in the sense that you split like love and reproduction and sexuality off because he mm. in atomize that's like oh what the problem is is that like people have to like love each other and have sex and make babies and continue this horrible human race that mm. really should just die out for like Welbeck <laughs> but like this one kind of ends in the same way because you have this this sort of situation where he converts to Islam and then even sexual desire gets removed because someone gets chosen for you mm. and then you just reproduce and then you have these kind of very separate things so you have you have sexual pleasure, you have marriage, you have um, reproduction. I've totally forgotten where I was going with that. But... <laughs> oh, I'm wondering if Michelle Welbeck um, actually believes in patriarchy. He believes, that some, he believes in the necessity of hierarchical power. Or he thinks, really, that we should all be clones. He actually believes in some sort of sci-fi world where the human race dies... And we all just live in like pods separately and have sex over the internet. And because I kind of sometimes think that that's what he thinks should happen. Because I think he still can't let go of some kind of like psychological relationship. Right. He, you have to have some kind of psychological relationship, but you just have to remove like 
the, the, the horrible problems that come with like, okay, like the, the world and social kind of aspects yes yeah. which which cause you know so, 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 so I think he believes in patriarchy to the extent that it simplifies that I think he believes in the in, in the, the wonderful power of the, the wonderful way that power can make things simple so maybe he's not like for patriarchy but he's certainly for someone coming in and just sorting it out like so that. he's a fascist yes all right. No, I was I was going to say that whole social dimension and the whole sexual dimension, as far as I remember, are removed in the possibility of an island. Yeah, and I think that is supposed to be the sequel to Atoma. Yeah, I think but I'm that's sure. where people are when when you get kind of old, you know it, and then instead of dying off, you're being replaced by Daniel thirty two instead of Daniel thirty one. Um, and, and your dog is replaced too, so you never have to kind of face face that. And you're just like sitting in, in front of your, your computer. So, yeah, I think sometimes he's trying to take things to their logical conclusion also. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes he, in Atomize, I think he plays a lot with the kind of 70s feminist ideas mm-hmm. that he in many ways detests. And I think he like tries to take it to its logical conclusion by saying like, if you really want kind of gender neutrality, you will end up with some autoerotic clones and there will, like, the world will just completely disappear as you know it because you can't have social relations and this kind of gender-fluid world. I, th- I think that's kind of where he goes with atomized in the sense that he just... He tries to take some sort of, like, post-war French theories and really, like, to a kind of humour humorous degree like take them to their logical conclusion i was thinking about a quote um that's also from the part where where uh, miriam is over for for sushi and they're talking about she's she's complimenting on his curtains and he says oh thank you and and she's like oh you have such sophisticated taste in in uh, like household textiles for being such a macho man but then again you're not macho because you're into literature and like oh you're a walking enigma and and he goes like oh no i'm not i'm just not i just don't fit into like the stereotype that consumerist uh women's magazines are trying to create but then again isn't that just what he does um francois i I think like he's he's coming up with all these like pre-made standards of of a human that you know that are the ones like oh which which character from this tv series are you or whatever and and he he just says like oh they invent a new one every week i'm just not like that and and that's i'm not enigmatic i'm just a normal person but i i really feel that's what he is though like he's the if they just have like this character in a in a woman's magazine or whatever me like so which Ulbeck character are you and you you can be like that depressed <laughs> depressed male do the quiz yeah exactly. find out which Michelle you are yeah I, I just I, I think that he's so determinedly running away from complexity mm-hmm. but that's what that's what's I think frustrating to me is that he's pretending to say that I'm seeing through the way that, you know, this political correctness is simplifying things, this sort of, uh, you know, this this being nice to each other way is trying to simplify the world. But actually he's running away from the complexities that comes up with, because basically you will come up to a situation where you feel in some way wronged or violated unfairly because you're behaving as you always have. 
and you're basically and you're just having to deal with the realization that you were talking to an actual person and so that i guess is my central dissatisfaction for me with this book is that it it looks at complexity and goes oh no it's more complicated than that it should be simple and that's a really unsatisfying way to do you mean like in relation to sort of social relations as in he sort of runs away from like the very yeah. fact that you just have to live in the world yeah and that that's complicated yes yes and yeah. that, and that but he runs away from anything where there would be like in in the kind of pseudo construction of him occupying a gray area of misogyny of um islamophobia of of uh, uh, sort of rabid misanthropy he's so in this kind of pseudo gray area of that he's actually just resisting the gray areas of misunderstanding and and the inability to get what you want and also that what you want is not necessarily the right thing like he's just rejecting anything where he cannot trust his own cock but also the whole like view on the political situation we get through this Francois guy mm -hmm. who also says that I am about as political as a bath towel <laughs> and then we're sort of warned for the rest <laughs> of the book but I think he also tucks himself down falsely yeah because yes. he sees himself as intelligent he clearly does because he has no respect for his co-worker the guy who wrote a dissertation on Rimbaud yeah But yeah, he kind of talks himself down, but not intellectually. Well, he wouldn't want to, he, it's more that he doesn't want to see, see, be seen to be talking himself up. Yeah, perhaps. probably. Yeah, I mean, because let's see, the political characters in the book, there's the former spy, the husband of Marie. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, what is it, Redringer? Uh, yeah, Rediger? Or Rediger, Rediger. Rediger, the convert. And there was the, other, the young fascist. Young fascist. Oh yeah, was in the beginning of the book and then dis disappears. Well, of course he was not going to be. Was he Doesn't back? he come? He comes he back, back at, at one point. Oh really? Yeah. yeah they had a the one party and and he's he comes over and they they start talking. This is right after the the election, I think. Yeah. When they have that par uh, party where there's no women. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, because of course you do this get this kinship between the nationalists and. The Muslim Brotherhood. They both, again, both of these are systems that are also looking for a simplification of the world. Mm. Like they're they're also running away from complexity, and that's why I think that Welbeck is ending up doing a similar kind of thing, even though he's making his narrator distinct from these groups. But it just seems to be, it's a, to me, it's like a visceral rejection of life. And we, we yeah, we talked last week about Bataille and the kind of rejections of life or the rejections of the vitality in sex or the kind of the the complexifying of that with the relationship to death. But it's almost like this guy's not running towards death but running towards being a rock. You know, like where like if it was just a if I was just a rock. Or just that, playing dead? If yeah if I was not if I was just like if I just I mean if I was just totally inert. If I didn't even rot. If I could not react to anything. But isn't that what what his hopes are when he <laughs> joins the monastery? Where he's like, oh, I want to be a monk like <laughs> this man. And then he goes to this monastery and it's it's all wonderful. And like he's talking mm -hmm. about the power of these, the the masses and the prayers. And then he finds out that you can't smoke cigarettes in his room. <laughs> and then <laughs> has to get away. Well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I, I also love that. Again, it's, it's, it, he, when he's in the monastery, he says about how... Um, 
after just a few days away from women, a man can forget his sexuality and focus on more kind of rational intellectual things. Mm. And it's just like, I think I'm always troubled with this, this um, inability to have two thoughts at the same time. Like to think that you're like a sort of a physically and libidinally engaged being and also be intellectual. And there's this, this terrifying, people seem to be so terrified of that. And this rejection of it just bores me quite a lot. Like it's this total self-justification in writing, which is, I, I don't feel he's exploring anything. I feel he's just telling me what he thinks. Like, I, that's why I, I'm, I usually don't want to like, you know, pretend there's a one-to-one relationship between the character and the, and the, and the author, but there just, there just is. Yeah, right. I find it really hard to separate them. I think he's been like autobiographically sort of dissected so much because he calls his his um, main characters Michelle all the time mm. and because atomized people have talked about it a lot because he basically describes his childhood I mean people obviously you know because of Wikipedia mm-hmm. what his childhood is like and um, Michelle the character well it's kind of like a blend of them of, of both of them they basically grow up in the same way that Michelle Welbeck grew up so people have always like Try mm. to like make a parallel between mm. him and his characters, and I suppose like it's so easy mm. to do it, but I, mm. I kind of like have a desire to not do it because I feel like it's so it's too easy, it's too easy, and it he could even be wanting you to do that, yeah, and provoking you to do that. Like I'm not interested in learning anything about Michelle Wahlberg, the the man, other than like I just think this is what he thinks. He at least thinks it enough to say that we should all read and pay attention to it. I don't know if he thinks it. I don't know if he thinks all the things that he says. I think he I think he really, really wants to... I think in the past he's really wanted to, like, sort of bring out horrible, horrible stereotypes mm. so that everybody has to face up to them, even people that don't think that they have them. Mm. Um, and I think that's why he, like, split, like, the, acad- like, the French mm. academia down the middle because some people just thought he was a horrible, racist, homophobe, like, mm. bastard. And some people thought he was the most clever person in the world who was able to kind of, like, construct all these things so that he could, like, throw it back into the face of people. But more and more after reading this book, I'm not sure. I feel more like you, make, and I feel like he's becoming all these things, whereas before he was kind of able to, to present them to you just in a more complex way. Mm. And like you say, he's running away from complexity in this novel, and that's, like, completely evident, and I feel like that's the problem because he was better at, like going into the complexity of things and therefore his stereotypes weren't quite as problematic and weren't quite as easy to be like well that's just what he thinks yeah because I, I, I don't think that his racism homophobia uh, or his general prejudices towards various religious groups makes him you know, shouldn't dismiss him for those things it makes, it's, it's an interesting it's it's interesting, <laughs> at least anthropologically <laughs> to look at and go like oh wow this is yeah you, you can construct those kind of thoughts if you really want to. Uh, I'd like to talk about this um, quote towards the end of the book where uh, he's the character Francois is being convinced by um, uh, Redigan Red, uh, um, to uh, convert to Islam um, so he can get his job back at the university. And uh, uh, says starts by saying it's submission, he murmured. The shocking and simple idea which had never been so forcefully expressed that the summit of human happiness resides in the most absolute submission. I hesitate to discuss the idea with my fellow Muslims who might consider it sacrilegious, but for me, there's a connection between the woman's submission to a man, as described in the story of O, 
and the Islamic idea of man's submission to God. You see, he went on, Islam accepts the world and accepts it whole. It accepts the world as such, Nietzsche might say. For Buddhism, the world is dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, suffering. Christianity has serious reservations of its own, but isn't Satan called the prince of the world? For Islam, though, the divine creation is perfect. It's an absolute masterpiece. What is the Quran really but one long mystic poem of praise? And this was interesting to me. You know, it, we were talking about his kind of depression and his dissatisfaction with everything. And he's... Because <laughs> he's on the record of being very critical of Islam in the past and it got him into lots of trouble and he had to go to court about it. And then he said when he was researching this book that he actually read the Quran and did some research, which is, you know, is evident. He's done at least, you know, the kind of high school comparative religion course research into, into Islam. But he's really caught on to this idea of the accepting the world as it is in the end. Because when I read that, I was thinking that's, that's not exclusive to Islam as a religion. Because I, I, accepting it as perfect might be exclusive to Islam. And I have to admit, I don't know very much about religion in general. But there are other kind of like denominations of, for instance, Judaism that accept the world as it is and accept, for instance, that like evil exists in the world, not that it was created and things like that. So I felt like, again, like an over mm. kind of simplification of that, of, of, of that like history of religion. Yeah, I, I, there is that point of difference between the uh, capitalism driven coming out of Protestant um, Christianity, which is about making works and that you know your um, validity by your works to improve the world. And the world is a testing ground for human suffering, well, for humans to excel in, versus one where you submit to the way that the world is. But I kind of understand his, his want for submission. Like, that's the thing... Because you have all these, you have all these bad things. You have the body, you know. You have the body going, going ugly, uh, faster for women, he says, than for men. But still, it is, it is going downwards, and it's going. You know, you you lose your libido, you lose your interest, you lose your your smarts, you lose your your everything slowly, and and then you have this this promise of of something of this something in 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 this case he's talking about it as being islam that is when you submit to it it'll save you but he's trying to submit to everything francois he's trying to submit to literature he's trying to submit to he's kind of trying to submit to academia he's trying like he's trying to submit to to miriam but she's moving he's trying to submit to the idea of love he he's really really trying he keeps he keeps talking about like that marriage uh, of, you know, it might not be romantic, but at least there is like this thing where two ugly bodies can meet in a comforting hug before going to bed, kind of. Mm. And so I I see the beauty in it, but it's but Francois also makes it very clear to me that it's very ugly, not just like not the the submission to Islam, but sum, submission in general. Like that whole thing he's failing at, like failing at life and, and hating and, and or at least not caring. Yeah, I feel like for him, submission is more like some sort of just like order. Just like instead of being submission as something where you just like give over to like your emotions or somebody else or like some sort of hierarchical system. It seems to be submission for him is just that things have a place 
and that they just mm. like stay in their place in the same way that you have many wives because the first one can be the one who you have sex with who gives you sexual pleasure then there's one who can like cook and that works for women because of the stages that they go through so he he like system that seems perfect for him and then he kind of intertwines it with this idea of like submission to that system that just would be so perfect yeah but for me it's kind of like he's just blended submission into like what really is just giving up giving up into a system and accepting something so that you don't have to ever strive for anything more or anything better yeah to remind the other last lines of the book i don't know we shouldn't we shouldn't read those yeah, don't spoil it. Have Islam happens, you can't get an erection. That's the book. <laughs> but we've talked for a long time. Okay. So we're gonna end this now with a quote from the London Book Review, who have? called this a melancholic tribute to the pleasure of surrender. I think that's a shit description. <laughs> <laughs> But it sounds really good. Thanks for having listened. What we forgot to tell you was that we just didn't like the book and that it in no way merits the title Most Important Book of the Year 2015. We compared it to the tale of The Emperor's New Clothes by H.E. Anderson. And like the child, we should have yelled louder instead of desperately trying to find its beauty. But oh well, we wanted to love it. Next month, we'll do our exams and try to finish our PhDs, so what we will give you in June is a pretty great piece of audio from our event on brief interviews with Hideous Men by David Foster Wallace. You'll hear some good readings, and both Emma Halton and Mikkel Franzen talk about the book. Stay tuned.